Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre for yet another episode as we're looking back at the Billie Jean King Cup finals in Canada, winning one tie but failing to get past that round robin stage. And we have a special guest, uh, Mike, with us as well this week to talk about all the action. Yeah, a voice that Canadian tennis fans and sporting fans are definitely used to hearing and someone I grew up in Montreal uh, listening to and watching on TV as well. Uh, Rob Folds, uh, commentator for Sportsnet, respected Canadian sports broadcaster and uh, first time on Matchpoint Canada. So thanks for joining us. Well, I've been listening for a long time. It's nice to actually uh, be part of it. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, let's start by, uh, you know, before we get into the Billie Jean King Cup tie that you were covering uh, the last few days, let's start talking a little bit about your own background covering tennis, maybe, uh, you know, your association with the sport growing up and, and what place tennis occupied for you uh, in the sporting landscape, Rob? Uh, well, I was, uh, I was, well, I'm trying to, I wasn't a an avid tennis player. I was a uh, grab a bracket, grab a tennis ball and uh played tennis with my buddies against the side of the Dominion store in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, weren't a lot of tennis courts in Hamilton when I grew up. Um, I'm of that vintage where to try to find a tennis court was quite tough. Uh, I grew up wanting to be a football player, uh, which could explain my bad knees now. Uh, I played tennis as whenever I could with uh, whoever was a tennis fan at the time. Um, but trying to find them was difficult. I played a lot more squash and racquetball. When uh, when I had it be because the knee problems made it easier to to move around a squash court and a racquetball court than it did around a tennis court. But I was always interested. I was always one of those guys who uh, was very interested when any tennis came on. Um, it's always been one of those sports that I always found interesting. I was a Bjorn Borg fan. I love the Borg McEnroe rivalry. Um, that really got my interest there. And then the the Everett Navratilova on the women's side. Um, those kind of rivalries really caught my interest. So that's probably where it really started. And it carried on uh, as my broadcasting career started. You really didn't get much opportunity in this country to, to cover tennis. You kind of did it from the side. You watched uh, the Grand Slams. It wasn't until I moved and I was uh, associated with CTV and CTV got the right for then the Canadian Open. Uh, that I got my first chance to call tennis. And it was a, a learning experience, um, completely different from calling any other sport because of the way the sport is. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoy the, the, the head games you can go through, the athleticism, uh, the one-on-one -on -one battles. And so I guess I've been calling tennis since, I'm going to say, the very early 90s. Um, CTV used to cover... Um, the weekends for some of the Canadian Opens. Uh, and then, then we did the, the Monday to Friday, and CBC would pick up the weekend championships. And then when Rogers got involved, we were able to do the whole week, which makes it much easier to cover a tennis tournament and made me less grumpy on a Saturday because um, you'd leave after the quarters and then you'd, you'd hand it off and somebody would do the semifinals and the finals. And so I'd have to rush home to, to try to watch the, the semifinals and finals of an event I did the whole week on. So uh, that's been great. And then with the Davis Cup Association over the last 11 years that we've done and the Fed Cup, now Billie Jean Cup, King Cup, uh, I've been able to do a lot of tennis over the years. And I, I just enjoy the experience. I enjoy the people I work with. 
and I've always had a, an appreciation for the sport. Um, as I mentioned, I, I grew up wanting to be a football player, and uh, and of course, that doesn't lend yourself to being an excellent tennis player, let me tell you. I can imagine. Well, for me, it was hockey and tennis, but uh, I can't say I have much talent in either of those, but uh, thoroughly have enjoyed covering tennis for the last 12, 13 years, and uh, I always love hearing who people uh, got hooked on the sport watching. Who were those rivalries? You mentioned Borg McEnroe. For me, it was Becker, Edberg. And, uh, you know, there weren't as many Canadian names to hook you back in the 80s, early 90s. Things have changed so much in the last 10 or so years. Now there's big expectations on what Canadian tennis can do. What expectations did you have for Team Canada heading into the Billie Jean King Cup tie against the Italians and the Swiss? I thought it was the best team that it sent. Uh, now, I can't go all the way back to the late 80s and early 90s uh, with the quality of some of the tennis players we had then. We got to the semifinals in what I think it was 88. Um, but I just thought at this time of, in Canadian tennis, we sent our strongest team to the B- Billie Jean King Cup um, because of a- availability, because of health of players. Uh, Bianca was healthy. Uh, and really wanting to play, uh, play some meaningful matches. Layla was coming off an injury, but uh, was feeling pretty good, she said. And then you've got Gabby Dabrowski, who arguably is one of the best doubles players that we've had on the women's side ever. Um, And and just experience showing it, winning tournaments, uh, getting deep into tournaments. You know, she just come from Fort Worth, flew right from Fort Worth in the the finals to to be part of the Billie Jean King Cup. And plus, Rebecca Marino has played so very well and made her way back onto it. And and Carol Zhao, I thought that they just had a great opportunity to to make that advancement and be certainly competitive. And they showed that they were competitive all the way through. Um, The tie against Italy, I just was blown away by the the way they played and, and how good they looked. And then as Sharon and I sat there after that, that Italy time, looked at each other and went, you know what? Looking good. They have a r- real opportunity mm-hmm. here and felt really good going into Friday morning and, and what might happen against the Swiss. Now, the Swiss had some unfinished business they, they wanted to get done, which they finished their business. But uh, I really felt good about the team. I thought it was the strongest we've sent. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, that, that's uh, as Sylvain Bruno echoed echoed those comments uh, in his, his pre-tournament press conference as well, saying it's the strongest team they've had. And uh, you're right, that first day against Italy, I mean, Leila Annie Fernandez, sort of a revenge match, just completely blowing Trevisan off the court. I thought this team was destined to at least make the semis. Um, just your thoughts on how the tie sort of unfolded against Switzerland. Mike and I going in sort of talked about uh, how important, of course, Belinda Bencic is to the Swiss team and how she's the most dangerous player there. And, you know, she's a world-class player, gold medalist. But I was not expecting the type of performance that Victoria Golovic produced against Bianca Andreescu. Were, were you surprised by that? And completely. Uh, first of all, I was quite surprised it was Golovic when we saw the matchup. Uh, we were told it was going to be Teichman. And we really thought that, and I had already, in fact, I'm sitting here with my book in front of me, and I wrote Teichman down, and I had to strike Teichman because an hour before the the match, they they can they can make their changes, and I'm going, okay, let me see, and how did they match up? And I'm going, this is interesting because uh, I thought that Bianca had uh, a better record against Golovic than she did against Teichman, but uh, you know, you go with your hunches, and I thought Bianca played well in the first set and looked like she was in control, and then I think. And this is just me. I thought she was maybe a little too aggressive 
in set two and three, and that kind of cost her. And Gulovich went, okay, I'll outlast you. I'll wait. She's athletic. She got back and forth. Uh, and and I think that kind of surprised Bianca because uh, Bianca had, I thought, a pretty good run after they went break, break. Um, they kind of settled down. And I thought Bianca looked a little more in, in control, but I just thought that uh, Gulovich just went, okay, I'll pace myself. I'll see what you got. And in the second and the third set, it was as Bianca looked like she may have run out of gas a little bit. I don't know what you guys thought. I thought she may have looked a little fatigued in set two and three. Well, one one thing that's crossed my mind with Bianca, and um, I'm glad she said this when I actually spoke to her before the tournament, that I, I feel like she's not getting enough free points on her serve. And she's sort of said that her big focus is improving her serve, getting it more and more reliable. So you comfortably win a first set, but you know all of her service games kind of always feel like a, a bit of a grind, a bit of a challenge sometimes when she gets in these long, difficult matches, which I, I think makes makes it that much more strenuous. You know, here's a question I'm going to ask you guys. Now, Bianca said in her press conference after Cochareto that uh, she likes being challenged, likes being behind. And she was behind in both her sets. Remember, she had to come from behind, battle through. And I understand that. And I, I can see, you know, it might light a fire. But I don't think on a regular basis you want to get behind in sets against no. people who are ranked the way they are and then try to come charging back. Now, the first set, she looked like she was in control. Once they swapped the brakes and they got things, you know, back on, on track, it looked like Bianca liked running from the from the front. But then all of a sudden, second set, she gets behind again. And then we're saying, okay, well, she says she likes to work from behind. She likes to be, um, you know, she likes to challenge herself. But I don't think that's something you want to do on a regular basis. I mean, no team wants to be down two goals every game. Uh, no team wants to be down four runs every game and have to come from behind. It's not easy. Now, I understand it might light a fire, but what do you guys think? I just think that that's an interesting statement to make, but you can't consistently put yourself behind. Well, first of all, Rob, I'm not sure, Ben, do we allow guests to ask us questions? Is that how it works? Do we, uh, <laughs> this is a bit of a turnaround here. I got to be honest. I like it. But, I uh, like it. I'll go first, and then, Ben, you can throw in your two cents, yeah. too, but... You know, to me, Bianca has always been kind of a player that thrives on a little bit of adversity, a little bit of, you yeah. know, drama, to use a word that some of her opponents have thrown out there before. And uh, I don't think it's sustainable, but it certainly worked for her back in 2019 in Indian Wells in Toronto well, and the run question, to, yeah. to the U.S. Mm -hmm. Open, too. But but no, to answer your question, I don't think that's any player's long term goal is to, you know, I want to you know drop the first set or get into a long three set battle. So I don't think it's really tenable, but it has worked for her in, in previous um, you know matches. Yeah, and I I don't think you you should never you should never set out of course from from the outset of of putting yourself in a, a situation that's adverse, right? You you want to have a handle on the match, you want to have a handle on the situation, and ideally you want to be a front runner. And you look at 2019 and even other matches that she's played in the past. Often I I feel like she can be in control at some times and then let things slip away, and suddenly she's gets herself into a long three set marathon in a match that if you've been watching an hour previously looked pretty pretty comfortable and uh i think for anyone who saw that opening set against golovich we thought probably bianca in canada looked in, in great control at that point i agree with you you know it was about 42 minute first set uh kind of ruled through once she got through the, you know them swapping break uh, service breaks uh she she looked determined she looked aggressive on each and every ball she played 
But then I just think Golovich caught up with that and said, okay, she's going to be really hammering it. I'm going to run her. I'm going to put her in uncomfortable positions where I'm going to force her to be use that aggression and try to be too fine. Try to find, you know, that little small space at the back of the court or along the baseline, as opposed to maybe being a little less fine and just making sure that the shot was there and then forcing Golovich to make a, a, a make a, a, a better shot. Uh, it was, I was quite surprised with the way it turned out. And I think it also put a little bit of um, an effect into the way Layla pre- uh, approached her game against Benchich. Yeah, and interesting for Layla yeah. to have such a decisive win in her opening match against the Italians, Love and Love, and then to get bageled herself against uh, Benchich, a top quality opponent. Uh, I mean, there's there's you know slim margins sometimes, and and certainly who knows what would have happened if Canada got by the Swiss, who ended up becoming the eventual champions of the entire event, uh, rolling through both their next couple of opponents. Uh, I think two two nothing. Um, how close is this team? And, and maybe to bring in the men as well, the Canadian men, as you said, you know, to us off here before we hit record, you're going to be covering the Davis Cup finals as well coming up soon where we've got a stack squad. How close is Canada? And I mean, we've seen it at the ATP Cup before and, and they made the Davis Cup finals in 2019, I believe. How close do you feel both these squads are just overall our country is to, uh, you know, being a dominant force in, uh, in tennis? I think very close. We send our best. I, I tell the rest of the world to watch out. Uh, just one last thing on, on the Billie Jean King Cup. I was We were a little surprised when Dabrowski came out with Fernandez after the tie was decided against Switzerland. You know, they had the opportunity. They could have run Marino out. They could have run mm-hmm. Zhao out. But I think what they were doing is seeing the comfort level with Fernandez and Dabrowski for a couple of things. Um, future Billie Jean King Cup events and Olympics down the road. Uh, the two, I thought, played very well, very well together. They have a nice little rhythm. Uh, Dabrowski is so good at, at the game. And then I thought Layla played off her well. There were a couple of communication errors, but I thought for for the most part, what they were doing was really saying, all right, we like the way you two play together. Maybe down the road we see a definite pairing, the way we saw with Daniel and Bashik on the men's side, that all of a sudden there was a comfort level there. You've got a comfort level there for not only BJK, but for the Olympics down the road. And I think that bodes well for Canada. And on the men's side, I think we can echo the same thing. We're sending our best team maybe since 2013 um, when Milos was was healthy and Daniel was still there and we had Vashik and then we had, you know, the Bulldog, uh, Frank Dancevich, you know, we, those kind of storylines. But now you've got, uh, you've got Felix, you've got Dennis, you've got Vashik who is there as the glue from, you know, 10 years ago to now and still wants to play. It still bleeds for it. Um, I think there's a lot of things going on too. And the matchup in the quarterfinal I think leans in Canada's way too. They played Germany to begin in the quarterfinals in the one and done in Malaga at the end of the month. And I think we have, uh, we, we can see the opportunity for Canada to really make a run again. Um, injuries will cause, we will certainly throw something in because Spain's not going to have Alcaraz. So you, if you don't have him, that certainly changes Spain's look, uh, at the Davis Cup, I really think Canada has a good run to get to the semis and perhaps even the final again of the Davis Cup. 
Yeah, and I think you touch on an important factor for Canada is the depth that we have right now. You're right. They could have thrown out Marino. They could have put Carol Zhao in there. Hey, thanks for coming out. Let's let's throw you a bone here. But yeah. the competitiveness and the desire to look at the future and say, hey, maybe we're onto something special here to find someone who can play with Gabby, you know, and it's going to click. And you got to work alongside Sharon Fishman in the booth and and Sharon, such a terrific doubles player for Canada as well, played doubles at the Olympics with Gabby Dabrowski in the last Olympic Games and a player that's represented our country so many times on the international stage. Uh, you guys had some early morning starts, you know, covering the the tie from from back here. I saw some of Sharon's Instagram posts getting the makeup done at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, what was it like having her perspective as a top-level player and as a co-worker? And do you think we'll see her back on the court in 2023? She says she wants to come back. In fact, um, we were supposed to go in on the Wednesday to do just to talk to the producer, do a couple of things. And she was all in a fluster saying, well, I don't know if I could be there. I, I've got training and then I've got a physio and I got to get to the gym. So her focus is to get back on court. And she says she doesn't think it's going to be Australia she goes for. But her plan is right after Australia to be ready to go and healthy. But here's a woman who's played since she was 14 for Canada. Was her first Fed Cup was when she was 14 years of age. In right. fact, she couldn't remember which Guay it was, Uruguay or Paraguay. She <laughs> Turned out to be Paraguay and then Uruguay. Uh, she won her first one. It was singles. She, um, she's just an outstanding representative, loves the sport, loves playing for her country. And uh, Davis, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, Fed Cup and now Billie Jean King Cup has been an, um, an opportunity for her, she says, to wear red and white around the world. She loves it. I think she wants to come back. Um, I don't know if there's room for her uh, on the Canadian side, I think because there's so many other talented young Canadians that uh, that want to wear red and white uh, for Billie Jean King Cup. But uh, she's grown as a broadcaster. You know, I remember the uh, one of the first events we did, we were doing a, it was a Fed Cup in Montreal. And it was her first, she was injured and she, said that she would step in and it was her first event that she'd done as an analyst, one of her first anyway. And she had a fistful of index cards with information on every the, the player she had. It must have been about two inches. Now that how many people play in a Fed Cup at that time? There's what four players on each side. She must have had yeah. cards on everyone. She had their their backstory. She had, I think their relatives backstory. I said, give me the cards. She said, what do you mean? I said, give me your cards. She said, no, 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 no. These are my notes. I said, I know. Did you write your notes? She said, yeah. Did you write your notes because you knew what you were putting on your notes? I said, yeah. I said, I don't want you reading your notes. I want you to react to what you see on the court. You know enough of the players. It's what's on the court that you're analyzing. You're not analyzing their second cousin twice removed and whether or not they played tennis. I said, that's a nice story, but your job is, she says, oh, oh, oh. So I said, okay, I'll put them over here. And she had them, but she was, I thought, really good. And she's got even better over the years working with Carolyn Cameron and then uh, Danny Michaud doing the desk at the, the Rogers Cup and then the National Bank Open. She has a nice touch for it. And because she loves the sport so much, it, it comes across. So she's been uh, uh, she's been a treat to work with. Now she's yeah. going to have to give me money for this now, I think. Because I just, you know, 
That would only be fair. Um, yeah, she has she has a great eye for the sport. You can tell just uh, through her experience in singles and doubles. Um, you mentioned, will there be a space for a Sharon Fishman? And really, that that's a good Canadian problem to have, we can sort of say. Yeah, yeah just thinking of the blend of this team and Gabby Dabrowski leading in said the camaraderie was amazing. And I just thought about the different players. And it really quite interesting because I feel like Bianca, Layla, Rebecca, um, Gabby as well, Carol, they're, they're all quite different personalities. Um, they all stylistically play much differently, and yet it, it seems to work very, very well. And you look at the different options going into any given singles or doubles doubles match, um, they're really unlimited, I feel. You know what that is the, the great thing, too, is they're all young. We, you know, yeah. we get Layla's 20, Bianca's 22, Gabby by, is by no means old at 30. You've got a great collection of athletes are going to be together for a, a while. And did you guys see they're going to play Belgium and host Belgium in April uh, for the, for the next round. So you've got these young people who are going to go through, they're going to have more experience. They're going to go through the first uh, grand slam event. They're going to be at other tournaments, but we know what we've, what they're capable of by seeing the way they played against Italy. And I think what, the way they showed they played against Switzerland, even though it was not the, the, the end they wanted, I thought we saw some great things. And I think it's uh, hugely optimistic that we've got a young team that's going to stay together for some time. Yeah, and certainly a hugely optimistic for Canada's chances at the Davis Cup finals as well. Um, Rob, youth. thank A youth again, though. Exactly. Just, <laughs> I mean, Felix, Felix and Dennis, both early 20s. I mean, you've got the old guy now. I think Bashik likes the fact that he's now the old guy. Uh, but you've he's, got he's not Daniel quality. Nestor level old no, guy, not, though, yet, right? He's got another <laughs> decade and a half to go there. You talk yeah. to Dan about that. Okay. Uh, but you're right. We've got young players that I think are going to make a mark. It's going to be great. And we look yeah. forward to it. It's November 24th. Can't hardly well, wait. We, we're looking forward to your call. And uh, Rob, you do such a such fantastic work on Sportsnet. It's a thrill to have you on the show. Guys, it was a, it was a treat. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Hope we talk to you again in the future, man. Take care. Good luck with the hockey career. <laughs> Thanks. my beer league hockey career yeah, yeah. right <laughs> take care guys yeah thank you there he goes sportsnet's uh rob faults commentator uh for sportsnet and covering the billy jean king cup finals and will be covering the davis cup finals in a couple weeks time you know just with the format for billy jean king cup it just goes by so incredibly quickly, right? Like they have Canada opens, they have that perfect day against Italy, like Layla double bageling Martina Trevisan in the rematch of the quarterfinals. And you're thinking like, wow, this, this team can go all the way. And then just in, in the blink of an eye, you lose a tight match to Victoria Gulabich and suddenly you're out. Yeah. The turnaround is so quick and you go from the highest high to all of a sudden this almost probably shocking feeling like how can it be over? We played so well against the Italians and, you know, they did what they really needed to do without Camila Georgie there and mm-hmm. having a team that was a little bit weaker. I mean, it was nice to see Layla get that revenge from the French Open last year where she fell in the quarterfinals to Trevisan with uh, that foot injury that, you know, her dad and coach Jorge wanted her with, to withdraw from that match, but she wouldn't have it. Clearly, that hampered her chances or she would have been in the semis there. So I thought, wow, that's a real statement that she's making to get back out there against that opponent uh, where her season sort of took a downward turn, unfortunately, yep. due to injury. Um, and then, yeah, as you mentioned so quickly, oh, you're up against Belinda Bencic next, and that match is over. Oh, the pressure's on Bianca, and three sets, and boom, done. Um, I do think it was great they got that doubles win to end on a bit of a high. 
And it was nice to see that camaraderie and that uh, chemistry between Gabby and Layla. And yeah, I'm very optimistic. And like Rob said, it is a young squad, both on the female side and the male side. And we're going to be entertained by these two squads for years to come. Unfortunately, and just a little side note here, we won't be seeing Canada at the first ever United Cup in January, uh, where, um, from what I gather, Felix and Dennis were not um, able to commit and you needed a certain number of top players to qualify. So Canada is not going to be there, which I think is such a shame uh, because we had the players, if we had them both on the men's and female side, uh, women's side, to really contend, I think. I don't think there's very many countries out there that have the depth on both wings like we have. Yeah, that combination of talent, I, I think it's pretty rare uh, on both uh, both of the tours. So unfortunate they'll miss out on the first installment of it early 2023 ahead of the Australian Open. But let's be hopeful maybe they can play the event the following year, um, which we'll see how it works out. But I'm pretty excited for that that tournament and the concept just in, in general for the United Cup. I, I wanted to give just credit once again to uh, the Swiss not only taking out Canada but wow how strong they played at the Billie Jean King Cup um, defeating Czech Republic 2-0 in the semis and then dismantling Australia in the final and you know Belinda Bencic was just absolutely on fire uh, through the week. She takes out Isla Tomjanovic 6-2, 6-1 to clinch the title. But beyond her, Teichman and, and Golubic were sort of the surprise wildcards who came up with big wins. And my goodness, Belinda Bencic, when she plays internationally and represents her country, holy smokes. I mean, you go back to Hopman Cup, her and Roger Federer winning that years ago. I know it was an exhibition, but still. Yeah. Olympic gold medal in singles. She got, what, the silver in doubles as well? Mm-hmm. and now Billie Jean King Cup champion. So when she's playing for her country, unbelievable. Uh, we haven't seen her win a slam yet or make a slam final, but when she won in Toronto back in 2015, I can't believe that was seven years ago, I remember Serena Williams saying at the time, this player is going to win multiple slams. Like, she is going to be a great player. And while we haven't seen it happen yet at the slams, the majors, her international resume is as good as they come. Yeah, without a doubt, uh, twenty three and eight career in Billie Jean King Cup, and we should. She feels like somewhat of a veteran of the tour. She's still only twenty five years old, so I, I certainly think she's going to get plenty of cracks, plenty of opportunities to to potentially win a Grand Slam one of these days. We should shift over to the ATP Finals, which is our final tour event of the season on the men's side, and it's under. It's already begun in Turin, Italy. Felix Oje Aliassi making his debut. He lands in the green group alongside Rafael Nadal, Kasper Ruud, Taylor Fritz, red group featuring um, Novak Djokovic, Daniil Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, and Andrei Rublev. This event actually beginning on the Sunday, so we should say Felix Ogialiasim dropping his first match 7-6-6-4 to Kasper Ruud. Taylor Fritz with the win over Rafael Nadal. We'll start with Felix. I mean, a, a tough loss to begin, but to me, it kind of underscores how underrated Kasparud continues to be. Like, he was not a name that people were discussing going into this tournament. And you think, like, he made the finals of the U.S. Open. He made the finals of the Miami Open, finals of the French. But he's clearly capable on hard and clay. And when he plays his best, I mean, we saw him beat Felix handily in Montreal earlier this season. He's very, very dangerous. I feel like you sparked Kasparud's career on hard court <laughs> when yeah. you interviewed him. 
Uh, what was that now? Summer of 2020, 21? What was it? It was 2021, summer of okay. 2021. I will, Toronto, I will right? take all of the credit for it. I will happily take the credit for and it. We and got, we got so many people who were slamming us because some of the players we'd interview would then go out and like lose their next match. But, yeah. but look at what Casper Ruud has done since that time. And I remember you were really high on him at the time and what he could accomplish and not just on clay. Uh, I mean, he thumped Felix in Montreal. That was a that was a beatdown. That was probably Felix's toughest loss of the entire year. One of the worst of his career in terms of playing in front of his home fans and not having it be mm. even remotely competitive. Um, this one was closer. But uh, you know what? I think it might be a little bit for Felix because personally, I felt like Felix on paper, the way he's been playing, almost the favorite in this one, or at least a 50-50, despite Rude being right. ranked just slightly, ever so slightly higher. But I think with Felix, perhaps, you tell me what you think, the fatigue is starting to kick in. He won three yeah. tournaments in a row. He had that, what, 16-match win streak. Mm -hmm. He went deep in Paris as well there, making the semifinals. Uh, how much gas is left in a tank? This has been the run of his career. He's never had to, you know, play after so many matches in a short period of time as a professional. Well, I mean, he's played 24 matches since the U.S. Open. In contrast, what Nadal has played three. <laughs> Rafael Nadal has played three. Some of these guys have played maybe six to ten. Um, so it it is a lot of tennis. I I know he's young and incredibly fit and athletic, but you wonder is is it going to be a point where it starts to weigh on you a little bit, even mentally? Um, just getting back out there, having to reset, and now you're going into it's such a different tournament, the ATP Finals, because. His previous titles, friends at Open, winning in Antwerp and and making these runs, you kind of at least get to work your way into tournaments, maybe facing guys outside the top 50. Here, it's right away. Like, you have to reset after a very tough loss to the Paris Masters semis, and now, oh my God, I'm playing a top five player to begin. It's very, very challenging, and Kasper Ruud certainly was refreshed. Um, he hadn't. I think he exited fairly early at the Paris Masters. He would have had plenty of time to tune up. My concern for Felix, like, I hope say he loses, doesn't get through the round robin stage, is he going to be physically okay for Davis Cup, which is also right around the corner? Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't go there. Because, <laughs> okay. I mean, the thought was going through my mind, too. Even before the ATP finals, I wondered yeah. how much is he going to have left. Maybe it's time for Dennis to take over. And Dennis and Vashik has been a very good one-two combination mm -hmm. for Canada before. So I would not be shocked, depending on how it plays out. If he wins and goes deep, he's going to be even more tired. If he kind of goes out early, then that indicates that, yeah, maybe he's on his last legs for 2022. Look at the green group, though. He ended up in the best group you could have asked for. For sure. Nadal is not playing anywhere near his best. Uh, no disrespect to Taylor Fritz, but you're not going to get a better, you know, matchup in terms of, uh, you know, someone not having a ton of experience in this kind of tournament. And you look at the other group, the red group, my goodness, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Rublev, and Djokovic. I mean, that is just one of the strongest groups in this event yeah. that, that I've ever seen. So, uh, you know, random how it gets divided up. But for Felix, um, you know, you couldn't ask for better. That being said, still all fantastic opponents. Yeah, and uh, Felix will next be up against Rafael Nadal. Doesn't get easier, even if Rafa is struggling right now. Anytime uh, you face one of the big three, that'll, that'll be a fascinating matchup and kind of a must win for both. Just quickly on the red group, as you mentioned, uh, Djokovic, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Rublev. Djokovic and Medvedev may be the favorites to come through. Tsitsipas really pushed Novak at the Paris Masters, almost beat him in that semifinal. Yeah, it's tough for me to pick a favorite because when you look at this event, 
it's kind of been a mixed bag of, of champions the last few it years. Has. I mean, we haven't had a member of the big three win since 2015 when Djokovic won his fourth consecutive. After that, we had Andy Murray, Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, Zverev has won it twice, including last year. Um, so who's to say? But, I mean, I do feel that Djokovic is uh, going to want to prove something on the way out this year and just remind everyone for, for the next season that, uh, hey, I've still got a lot to accomplish in my career and I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, and uh, Andre Rublev was incredibly honest to a fault in his uh, pre-tournament interviews, almost laughing. I was like, oh, how did I get put in this group? I have no chance. <laughs> like, really, really downplaying his chances. I feel bad for the guy. I have to land in the red group, but I mean, he's a great player. You never know if he were to Maybe it helps him to swing and... freely, right? Because he feels right. that way. Well, what do I have to lose? I'm just going to go out and blast him and see what happens. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so, you know, any anything is possible here. Um, just as we wrap up, we should mention we had the Calgary Challenger. Dominic Kepfer, your winner there, uh, taking the title. Vashik Pospisil made the, the quarterfinals. And Gabriel Diallo, who I spoke to uh, the other month, uh, reaching the semifinals. He continues to play some really good tennis. Yeah, we still got some Canadians who are uh, kicking around here. And we still got great yeah. Canadian tennis, as we mentioned, with Rob Folds with the Davis Cup coming up soon. And I just want to thank uh, Rob Folds again for joining us. Uh, he was a voice that I grew up listening to and uh, not always with tennis, sometimes with hockey. I mean, he covered so many different sports. And so, um, yeah, a lot of respect for him. And it was really cool when we landed him tonight uh, for me personally. And uh, we'll have to have him back because he does cover these uh, international tennis events for Canada on the regular now. Yeah, yeah, and he does a does a fantastic job. So does Sharon Fishman. We'll have to speak with her again, and hopefully, uh, she's resuming her career in 2023. We still have some ways to go before the 2022 season is out. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.